Gentles and armagers, ladies and lords, and all those who make their own definitions, I'm Baron Andreas, your host for this new show, The MK Storycast. The MK Storycast is the accumulation of an idea I've had for years. In the modern world, the radio network NPR has a show called StoryCorps, wherein two people who know each other conduct an interview. There is also a show called The Known World Bardcast, hosted by my good friend Lord Gideon Apstephen, which showcases bards from around the known world. Those two shows have inspired me to create this one. Sometimes we'll have songs, sometimes we'll have interviews. Mostly, though, our focus will be mid-Roman SCA history stories, usually told by the people who were there at the time. Do you think you might have a story to tell? At the end of this episode, we'll talk about how to reach out to us to schedule a recording session. Now, just recently, the Middle Kingdom celebrated its 50th anniversary with an event held in the center of the kingdom. There was a history hall with displays focused on past royalty and the baronies of the Midrealm, a memorial wall, a tavern with many performers, fighting, fencing, archery, equestrian, ANS and classes, and best of all, many opportunities to talk to people from all over the kingdom, from the newest of members to the oldest of royalty. This month's episode features stories from Mistress Signy, Duke Talamar, Duchess Ragni, Duke Finvar, and Duchess Anor about some of the earliest years of the Middle Kingdom, as well as a story about storytellers from Duke Iliahu, read by yours truly. We start with a tale from Duke Finvar de Ta, who, if you can believe it, wasn't initially convinced that this SCA thing was really all that. Hi there, I'm Finvar de Ta, a Duke in the Society for Creative Anachronism. And my story is about the earliest days of uh, the SCA spreading from its origins in California to other parts of the world. And the topic of this story is that I didn't want to join the SCA. I was not interested. Uh, uh, the uh, fandom, science fiction fandom created the SCA. Fandom now is movies, uh, cartoons, all sorts of things. Uh, there's science fiction in the mix, but it's not focused on science fiction. Back then, it was uh, science, organized fandom with the fan magazines and other stuff that was focused on uh, serious science fiction, mostly. It was very serious. Uh, and. Uh, the first people who were interested in doing something along the lines of the uh, SCA were fans first. Hard science fans in many cases. Except Tolkien had come along. And so it started infiltrating. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, I was just going to, going to university in the late 60s. And I was still, although I loved Tolkien, I was still very much interested. In, in the more serious science fiction as I saw it. Now, I had friends that I met at university who had gone to the uh, uh, Baycon World Convention in, in uh, Berkeley, California in 1968. And uh, they came back uh, and uh, they had pictures and they had stories. And we all said, uh-huh, uh-huh, that sounds kind of interesting. But, uh, we weren't interested. In fact, I'd heard about the, the SCA before that in Locus Magazine's first issue. They said, we're meeting in New York to get together for founding the East Coast Kingdom. So I, I blew it off then. I blew it off when I went to university. 
And uh, the next year I went to the St. Louis Con, uh, and they had the first coronation of the Middle Kingdom at the, at the event. And I was there. I was there. I walked through this, the room where they were having the coronation. Or actually, they were having an argument about who got to do it. So typical. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and my friends and I, with a few exceptions, said, oh, yeah, that's happening. Let's go look at the books, books room or, or something. And uh, so I was not interested. And uh, then the next year, the, 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 the fall following the convention, it was actually only about three or four months, uh, we decided at Halloween to have a, a, a costume party. And everybody came as a sword and sorcery character. Everybody. And our friends who had been to the Berkeley event back in '68 leaped on the chance. Leaped on the chance. There was now a little bit of interest. They dragged out their photos from Berkeley, and we looked at it and said, "Huh, maybe this would be fun." And so my stubborn uh, uh, rejection of doing something like the SCA dissolved in a minute. And we went on to form one of the first Middle Kingdom groups as, right. a, as a result. Hi, uh, so I am uh, Signe Dimardella, founding Baroness of Northwoods. We're sitting here in the uh, Northwoods history display, and I'm on exhibit as an official relic, and uh, mistress of the most noble order of Laurel, not just the old order of the Laurel, but the noble order of the Laurel. Um, I've been in the SCA since before helms were required, and uh, this is true, this is true. Um, head protection has always been required, but helms were not necessary for years, until at least 1970, so because uh, according to the rules, a heavy saber mask was the minimum requirement. Um, and how does this, how does this, uh, uh, connect with Northwoods well, uh, we decided that we wanted to have a tournament. There's a lot of backstory to this, but we decided we wanted to have a tournament, and so we did. And uh, did we have helms? No, because Fran cans were a new, that was an innovation. Um, and we were all a bunch of college students. Um, but somebody got some saber masks, uh, and uh, we started using the saber masks because, according to the rules, those that was. That, that met requirements, but the rap shot had been invented by then or discovered. And <laughs> so I said, okay, let's protect the back of the head. So I went and got some dormitory towels, institutional towels, and used that for padding, but it looked terrible. So someone had the bright idea, I don't know who, someone had the bright idea to get some plastic buckets, got some plastic buckets, and cut out a an opening for the face, spray painted them silver, and then tied, put them on and tied them over the, the uh, saber mask to hide, the sole purpose of these buckets was to hide the towels. At that point, we exceeded, we exceeded the SCA requirement for head protection. And we had our first tournament. Um, we had five fighters and, a, uh, and then a mystery contestant, a lady had been practicing in secret and uh, um, came out and fought. We had a maypole this being May, and uh, uh, 
did the old traditional maypole dance where you tie one of your friends up to the pole. We did some dancing. I, I taught some pavons and brawls. And um, then we went over to one of the dorms and had a, a revel and more dances and uh, um, some madrigal singing. And there was a men's madrigal group and women's. And the men did, well, what, remind, what, what stands out in my mind is after doing some perfectly period uh, uh, madrigals, they proceeded to sing Tom Lehrer's song, So Long Mom, We're Off to Drop the Bomb. I, I have no idea why. It was the 70s. Um, that's an excuse for a lot of things. But that was our first event in Northwoods. Um, the following year, well, actually, it's the same year, but in October, the following school year, we actually had an official event. And uh, the Detroit Free Press, we, we were a um, the Michigan State, which is in Lansing, the Detroit Free Press, and I still to this day do not know who did this, but somebody wrote them and asked about the SCA, and they were trying to locate the SCA, and their reporter got a hold of me, I was seneschal, and got a hold of me, and I mentioned that we were having a tournament coming up, and they ran their little question column in time for all sorts of people to find out about the SCA and find out about our chapter at our tournament and come to it. So we had, you know, probably 150 or so people there. It was a, you know, it was a, a respectable showing for 1970. It was very respectable with 17 fighters. We had some dancing on the green with live music and uh, um, the king of the middle came down with one of his knights. It was Franz, King Franz, and Sir Philippe de Seren. And uh, uh, at 17 fighters, that was about three times as many fighters as had been in the previous Middle Kingdom crown tournament, um, but which we had not attended for. I don't, I don't think anybody really had cars in those days. <laughs> uh, so we had, we had not attended that, but he was duly impressed. And uh, um, the winner of that tournament was um, Thorvald and Grimmie, and uh, he was knighted. He impressed the crowd. He was knighted there on the spot. And uh, uh, together he and I became the founding baron baroness of uh, Northwoods. Um, he's not here because he's in Scotland. I want, I want this to be memorialized. So he got, well, he gets a pass. <laughs> But yeah, he's, he's at some castle in Scotland right now. Um, <laughs> Hi, I'm Rogni of Amberhall, and I joined the SCA in 1977, I believe. Um, and uh, my story and my memory is, comes from a couple of years after that. In, I think, 1979, uh, Finvar and I went down to the barony of Three Rivers to their baroness's wedding. That was Baroness Arwen and Chepe that she was marrying. And they had a tournament. It was a very colorful, beautiful thing. And, uh, and I fought in the tournament. And I had been one of a group of women fighters in my, in my group. My best friend was fighting there. And uh, at least two other ladies that I know of, maybe four, we had lots of women fighters anyway, bottom line. And, uh, and I had a good time. I, I 
I fought this one guy, Stephen of Norwich, his name was, and I think 30 years later, I met him at Lily's, and he said, I remember you. I remember those blue berserker eyes coming at me. It made me laugh, because I, I lost, of course. But anyway, I was in the bathroom, uh, and uh, I got waylaid by four or five Kalantiri ladies who said, you fight, and our guys won't let us fight. And I said, I was surprised. I said, you know, Finvar uh, encourages women in the mid-realm to fight. And I know several, many, in fact. And they were qu querying me about, the, you know, this permissive king. Were you king at the time? Oh, Kingdom of Marshall. Yeah, King of Marshall after. He was a duke already. And, uh, and uh, they were extremely impressed by this and I think that they maybe became the core of fighting ladies Kalantir, which is a formidable force right now. Uh, the, you know, the amazing fighters, they're known for it. And I like to think that I got my little wedge in on the ground floor of that. That was back in 1979 in the barony of Three Rivers. That's my early memory of the SCA. Now we have a story from Duke Talamar about creating some of the Mid-Realm's most beloved awards, and then from one of the first recipients. This is Duke Talamar, Gandhi Lewin, and uh, I wanted to tell a story of the uh, three of the reign, uh, three of the orders that um, Duchess Iceland and I added to um, the Middle Kingdom award structure. Um, we added the uh, Dragon's Barb for Archery, the Queen's Favor for Chivalry and Courtesy, and the Dragon's Treasure for um, a, a Children's Award. Um, this was my second reign, or her first reign, and it was like 1982-83. And um, in terms of the Dragon's Treasure, I think we were the first king and queen that had young children. But it was also easy for us to see that the kingdom was already moving towards families. Um, the college kids that you know I joined in with you know were 18, 19, 20 years old are now married and they're having children and uh, they want to come to events and bring their children and there needed to be things for them to do and those youngsters that were doing wonderful things um, we wanted to have an AOA still there for them to achieve but recognition for what they might be doing as, as children. So we created the um, Dragon's Treasure, and we created three premieres for that in 1983. Uh, the three premieres of that order were Jacob uh, ben Solomon, who was the son of uh, um, Solomon ben Jacob, and uh, Eanor of, of Amber Hill, uh, who's now Duchess uh, Eanor, and Mungo Sheepshanks of the Hill. Um, and like I say, we did all three of those at the same time, so there was three premieres. The second one that we did was the Dragon's Barb. Archery's always been important in the Middle Kingdom, but we had no way of recognizing them except through a, a, an AOA or through, uh, um, if they were doing something in terms of arts, like making a bow and, or, or making arrows with a, um, a, a silver oak. So we wanted to do something that recognized the, the archers, so we created the Dragon's Barb. And uh, we worked again with uh, 
Herald and the um, Curia to make sure that everything we were, were doing would, you know, stand the test of time. And um, so the, the Dragon's Barb was given for um, skill and uh, for service to the archer community and, and helping to make it grow. And again, we did three premieres for that. The, the premieres were Michael O'Flynn, Robert Fitzallen, and Hans Orwig. Uh, and we always hoped that the ones that we created as premieres would be those that were just outstanding, that the whole community could get behind and recognize as, as uh, um, people to, to be emulated. The third one that we created was the um, Queen's Favor. Um, there were other kingdoms in the SCA that had uh, a queen's favor that recognized, that, that gave the, the ability to the queen to recognize uh, an individual for anything, outstanding courtesy, chivalry, um, you know, service. It could be anything that the queen just said, I want to recognize you and give you my favor. So um, Eisden created this in, in um, 1982. And uh, again, it went through the Curia and through the heraldry. And uh, the first three individuals that we put into the order of the Queen's favor was Lars the Fierce, uh, from, currently from Kalantir, um, Grace Alata, and Otto von Schwarzkatz. Um, and Otto is still active and, and plays in uh, um, Sir Otto, is in Atlantia today. Um, an interesting side note on the, the Queen's Favor, um, the last Queen's Favor, as we know it at that moment in time, was given by uh, Eli and Ellen, and it was given to Iceland. And thereafter, they changed the name of it to the, um, the Doe's Grace. And interestingly, uh, Eli and Ellen Duke, Eli and Duchess Ellen, then were the first recipients of the order as it was changed to the Doe's Grace. Um, the um, Doe, a white Doe, was the uh, heraldic uh, emblem device of, of Iceland. So that's why it was changed to that. My name is Duchess Anor of Amber Hall, um, and I was the premier, uh, well, one of three premiers of the Dragon's Treasure. Um, I got to be first because my name starts with E, <laughs> so alphabetically. Um, at that time, it was called the Dragon's Jambe, which uh, is French for the dragon's limb or the dragon's arm. Um, the idea being that children were the, the limbs of the dragon, or the future holding it up. Um, it was an award designed to go after the AOA and before um, the youth of the kingdom were ready for awards like Willows and Purple Frets. Um, I had gotten my AOA uh, eight years prior uh, from Hugo von Feuerklipper and uh, Caitlin in their coronation. And then so for eight years I had been, you know, in the SEA doing my thing, but there's no recognition at that time for children. So um, their majesties came up with this idea to have an award for youth. And again, I, I was 16 when I received the Dragon's Treasure. Um, in the time since then, it's been sort of swapped with the AOA, so children get their Dragon's Treasure first and an AOA later on, but all of the recipients of the Dragon's Jam slash treasure on that day 
uh, we all had had our AOAs for quite some time. Um, and it was at a Penzik court, and uh, Her Majesty Iceland of the Hill fame um, was there. It was one of the last courts, I believe, that she actually was able to be at. Uh, and I remember her giving, giving me the award with a smile. And they told me, uh, this is a little braggy, but it's a history, so sometimes histories are a little bit like that. They told me that in the meeting when they were discussing the development of the award, people kept saying, like Eanor does, whenever they were describing the kind of thing they were looking at. So I, I remember that. I mean, I'm not going to tell you how many years ago that is <laughs> right now, but I can remember her saying that uh, very, very clearly. And it's uh, one of my proudest honors still to this day. Up next is the story of how Duchess Ragni joined the SCA and then Ancient Songs of Northwoods with Mistress Signy. Eleanor's father uh, was uh, when he was a student in Berkeley, master's student in Berkeley, and and uh, was friends with all the uh, science fiction folk that, uh, that started the society. He wasn't at the first party, but he was at a tournament, I think, in Paul Anderson's yard. After that, he he knew Paul Anderson, Dave Stewart. Um, bunch of people, uh, Marion Zimmer Bradley, Paul Parker, uh, not Paul Parker, uh, Paul Zimmer. Um, anyway, he knew them all. And uh, when we started going out, he would tell me stories about them getting together and making pavilions in the dining room floor and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> this is weird and peculiar. And uh, like, I've heard of interesting pickup lines, this kind of takes to take, but it was interesting. This would be back in 1970, I believe. And uh, I was working as a street drug worker for one of, one of the hospitals, and they wanted to send me to San Francisco to check out the Haight-Ashbury district and to uh, Los Angeles to the Dare clinics there. And uh, when I went to Saint San Francisco, Torben set me up with uh, his SCA friends for a pl as a place to stay. So I stayed with them and I went to the, uh, they were doing a demo at the Ren Fair. Uh, so that was attractive and amusing and interesting. And uh, then afterwards we went to, uh, Marion Zimmer Bradley's house, or maybe it was her brother's house, it was her mother's house. And Paul Zimmer was playing, playing his guitar and singing, actually, were they silk or were they? Probably Kipling. Kipling, Kipling songs. Very, oh, it was beautiful, it was really nice. And uh, I said to him, I would like to do this. I would like, to, you know, I have a little bit of a contact. I'd like to start a group in Toronto. And his response to this was, here, fill out these forms. <laughs> so that was the end of that for me. And, and uh, back then, they were having a very interesting kind of a division between the people who wanted to play and the people who wanted to organize. And they called themselves uh, the people who wanted to organize were calling themselves Rhythmdale, except everybody else was calling them Merkwood. <laughs> so, um, 
But anyway, filling out a piece of paper had absolutely no, no interest for me. But we came back and we had a, we had a medieval party uh, at my place, except I was busy in hospital having a baby, so I didn't get to go to it. But then later on, there was a, uh, when about three or four years later, uh, there was a picture in the paper of these guys fighting. So that's how I joined the SCA. <laughs> Early contact. Took Early me a while contact. to get going. Fantastic. Thank you. They have this on display. Um, this is men of Northwoods. I'll hold this up to the, uh, um, the microphone here. Sure. You can all see it. Men of Northwoods, which is a, a baronial fight song. It's the, the horn call of the North. It was written by a fellow named Orion the Ranger. And Orion was about as old as our parents when he was in his 40s when he joined. Um, he was a, um, a, a professor at Michigan State. He was uh, an administrator of the Park Service. Um, he was a great guy to know. He, he wrote songs, he sang, he was an archer. Um, and he wrote this song uh, to the tune of uh, Men of Harlech. And this comes from the days when women didn't fight. Um, it says at the bottom, here's set forth in its, I can't read this, calligraphy. In its... Every sword. Every, every word. Every word. And with full measure, measure that of, defiance. of defiance that sometimes minstrel, scald, bard, rap sculpt. Um, tune Advanced Smith Tune Advanced Smith of Northwoods Orion the Ranger to be sung to the ancient and honorable men of Harlot and he's calligraphed this um, you can see how much trouble oh and, and there's a, actually a, a, he's drawn a little thing and I can recognize several Northwoods fighters by their arms heraldry is wonderful and, and there's the banner um and while there are people who can sing this by looking at the words, I can sing it from memory still after, I don't know, near 50 years. So um, with my ancient voice here, I will sing Men of Northwoods. Men of Northwoods, hear the horn call, arm and muster for the unfold. Raise the standard, close the shield, wall, guardians of the north. Though the foe be armed as dragons, we will send them back in wagons. Then their hail shall fill our flagons, good for us today. See their champion quiver, shout and make them shiver. We are strong and they are wrong to step their unwashed feet into our river. And at this point there is a sh stomping of shields and, and, uh, and the ground. While they're wronger, we'll be stronger for at least five minutes longer. Drain your horns, salute the ladies, guardians of the north. <laughs> so, yes, men of Northwoods. Um, he also wrote most of the verses to the anachronistic lover. Um, I wrote the first one, uh, and, uh, and he wrote the rest of them. Um, and this is not sung enough. As I sat down one evening, was in a wayside inn, 
a thirty-year-old barmaid came and whispered by my chin. I see that you're an anachronist and not just some modern jerk, for no one but an anachronist stirs coffee with the dirk. I once loved an anachronist, there's none like him today. He kissed me in the haystack once and burned up all the hay. He never shaved a whisker until his helm was full, and the device upon his shield bespoke a wild bull. He vowed to me one evening, no maidens were my peers. He ventured off to prove his point, and he's been gone ten years. And so I lost my lover, and in this inn I work, and sit and wait for someone who stirs coffee with a dirk. Now, from time to time, we will have stories that are submitted in writing that will be read by a host or a friend of the author. Today we have a story from Duke Eliyahu, which also serves as a parable for all performers. Always have a hook. The Story of the Balancing Storyteller by Duke Eliyahu during the reign of King Ilyahu II, at a feast following the day's events, the winner of a story contest was asked to tell his story to the assembled populace. The populace began with a respectful silence so that they might better hear the storyteller. Once the storyteller began to read his story, it became quite obvious that the contest was based on a written submission rather than on a performance. The storyteller spoke in a monotone and with insufficient volume and expression to engage the audience. As the storyteller approached the end of the first page of what became clear was a lengthy tome, the audience began to murmur, then soon to clamor for the storyteller to stop. The storyteller turned with a questioning and appealing expression to the high table and to King Ilyahu. King Ilyahu rose from his seat. He raised one hand to quiet the crowd. There was silence in the hall. This man took much time and care in the crafting of his story, and respect is due to him for his efforts. The populace in the hall began to groan. King Eliyahu raised his hand once again to silence the populace. However, he continued, respect is also due to the populace who deserve to enjoy this feast and each other's company. The storyteller and the populace were attentive. Therefore, the storyteller may continue to tell his story, another groan from the audience and another indication to be silent from the king, for as long as he is able to do so while standing on one foot on a chair. The populace laughed. Someone quickly pulled forward a chair for the storyteller. The storyteller stepped up onto the chair while people surrounded him to ensure his safety in the event that he should fall. The storyteller raised one leg. At a sign from the king, the storyteller began. The audience was transfixed. Every time the storyteller swayed, the audience reacted with ooh and ah. The more the storyteller struggled to maintain his balance, the louder were the audience's reactions. Soon the storyteller lost his balance and fell, caught without suffering harm by the people who had surrounded the chair. The storyteller bowed, the audience applauded and cheered. King Ilyahu spoke. 
Thank you, Master Storyteller, for your efforts at entertaining our populace and ourselves. The Storyteller smiled and returned to his seat in the hall to much applause. And that's all we have for today. Thank you, friends. You've been listening to Season 1, Episode 1 of the MK Storycast. Stay tuned for next month's episode, which will focus on Penzik stories. And after that, who knows? Tell us what you think. Or if you would like to record a story for our show, please visit us by searching for the MK Storycast page on Facebook and send us a message. Or visit us at mkstorycast.com. If you would like to support our work, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mkstorycast, where you can choose from a variety of tiers to help us in our mission to record the history of the Middle Kingdom and the SCA. Your support helps us by enabling us to travel, record, produce, and host this podcast. So thanks to everyone who supports us as a patron. And thanks to all of our wonderful contributors. All stories in this episode recorded by Andreas Blackwood. Our intro and credits music is Amoroso by Musica Subterranea, all rights reserved. The MK Storycast logo was designed by Lord Gideon App Stephen. The MK Storycast is an independent production from a paper muse and is no way affiliated with or beholden to the Society for Creative Anachronism or any of its governing bodies. Until we next meet, thank you for listening, see you soon, and don't forget, everyone has a story. <laughs>